And you're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar de Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the Spades with We Sell Soul, the B-side to You're Gonna Miss Me by the Spades as sung by Rocky Erickson. Before the 13th floor elevators, there were the Spades. And today, an interview with Rocky Erickson. As well, an interview with Rest in Peace from Dennis Hopper. An interview with Dennis Hopper from May the 27th, 2005. But here, right now, is an interview on Denardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show with Rocky Erickson. Who are you? My name is Roger Rocky Rocky Erickson. Rocky Erickson, who do you have beside you? 
Uh, well, this is, they're a member of a band, you know, and they have a real hard name to pronounce. It's kind of like O-C-H-R, Okra, Ocherville River, something like that. We have Will from, from Okra? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Oaks with Sock. Ryan with Sock. Oh, Ockerville River. Yeah, that's the one. Ockerville River. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And here you guys are in Austin, Texas. That's right, yes, that's right, yes. Rocky, the other night, Ray Davies opened for you. Ray Davies of the Kinks. Uh-huh, yeah. That's right, yeah. I sure like his standard guitar playing, you know. How did that gig go? It was great. It was great hearing him. Did you hear some of that, Rocky? Yes, I did, yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite kink songs, man? Well, I just like that all day and all the, you really got me and all that yeah. stuff. I like them all. Those, yeah. right? Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Elevators did a great version of that, a great jammy version in San Francisco, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. I have a gift for you guys. Oh, great. Excellent. Excellent. Right off the bat, here we have a gift for you. Right here, it is a Destroyer pin, the band Destroyer from Vancouver. I love Destroyer. Dan is an incredible songwriter. I'm very honored to have this pin. And for Rocky, we have a pin for you from your favorite movie. Uh-oh. Yeah, I want to put it in my hat. Oh, boy, that looks like Curse of the D-E-M-O, of the Demo or something. The Demo. Curse of the Demon. Demon, right, yeah. Curse of the Demon, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. What can you tell Will about Curse of the Demon? Well, it, it's, it was just a uh, kind of a show that they were kind of thinking they were uh, making sure to help it come along and everything, you know, to make sure that it would have to be something that needed, uh, like, you know, uh, assistance or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, and that to make sure it's good and everything, mm -hmm. that you always should have people with you at the time or something yeah. like that, you know what I mean? Curse of the Demon. Now, what can you tell Rocky about Destroyer, Dan from Destroyer? Well, first, just to finish the Curse of the Demon thing, I think that was one of the ones where, you know, Jacques Tourneur was really undercut by, you know, he needed assistance from people who would give him the opportunity to make the movie the way he wanted. Because that rubber dummy at the end is a little silly. But Destroyer Rocky is a band from Vancouver. Yeah. A guy named Dan Behar. Okay, yeah. He's a songwriter kind of guy. It's sort of like, uh, I don't, can't, can't really describe it, but he's a really, really cool guy. Oh, I see. Yeah. It's a good name, too, right? Yeah. Destroyer. Rocky Erickson, my friend John Battles took you to Margie's Ice Cream in Chicago. Yeah, right. What's that like, Margie's Ice Cream, John Battles in Chicago? Yeah, that's, that place is like being in some kind of a, a, a crate factory, just boxes everywhere, you know, and so I, I guess they manage, you know, they're able to do it, you know, figure out how to get your, you know, your specialty there, you know. And the Beatles ate there. The Beatles ate at Margie's. Oh, they did, huh? Well, that's great, yeah. And you enjoyed it too. Margie's in Chicago, John Battle. Right, right, uh huh. Rocky Tommy of the 13th floor elevators, he used to eat cockroaches. Oh, is that right? Oh, no, we'll have to read about that, won't we? Uh, I read about that. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know, you know. And I was wondering, what does Will eat, Rocky? Uh, he, he really likes to drink a lot of milk and cream and, you know, with a straw and everything, you know, if you let him, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, if you let me, I'll drink all the milk and cream that you have. I just need the right straw. If it's a long enough straw, you know, I'll drink it all. And here we are in a kind of uncommon day in Austin, aren't we? It's quite cold, isn't it? It's really cold. It's never this cold. And there's a special drink that we should have, isn't there? An avocado? Well, you were asking me if there was an Austin, a distinctive Austin drink, and I said, well, maybe an avocado margarita. 
which is quite good. It's better than you'd think it would be. Have you ever had one, Rocky? No, I've heard about them, you know, and I, I kind of art. Well, I kind of you know change my mind about avocados because I want to know what they are or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. A friend of mine called avocados Satan's mayonnaise. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rocky, your influences are varied, and I was thinking hard. I bet you this is probably one of your number one influences right here. Jonathan Winters, is that true? Yes, he is, I tell you, yeah. What can you tell the people about Jonathan Winters and Rocky Erickson growing up? Well, uh, Jonathan Winters is kind of like, you know, uh, what you call, uh, you have to put your, on the, it's like a relaxation thing, you know? Same kind of thing, you need guidance for it, so you have to be really into uh, maybe some really, oh, what do you call them, fantasy cushions, you know, there are these big old things that only specialists can sit on or something like that, you know. He doesn't get a lot of props, does he, Jonathan Winters? No, I, he probably doesn't, but that's what I heard, yeah, so you, that's really kind of good, yeah, you know. Rocky and Will, you guys have a song called Bring Back the past. Bring back the past. And here we have Will opening up Ugly Things magazine, and there is a great picture of Rocky. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you. It's some go-go girls. Or something, you know, I don't know, man. They must be uh, something, you know what I mean? Maybe they're somebody's uh, uh, friend or something, right? Or something like that. I thought it's... What I thought is fascinating, Rocky, is here's an ad for the Jade Room that the Spades played. Right, yeah. Uh, the Jade Room is now a parking lot. I heard about that. Well, that makes more sense than, than being whatever it is, you know, the, you know. Why does that make more sense? I don't know. It would just, you know, it, they, they said that if they had turned it into some kind of place where they, you know, it was something like a place where you could sit down and uh, and whatever, relax or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. whether some kind of tent over it or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'd rather be, you know, you know, you know what I mean, more yeah. casual or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's a parking lot now. Do you see a lot of Austin disappearing, Will? Well, it's really funny that you bring that up because for this record, we went around a lot of these old places. We went to the parking lot the Jade Room is in, and we went to another place they used to play called the New Orleans Club. You remember that, Rocky? Yes, I do. I sure do. Yeah. And they turned that into a place you can sit down, sort of like a Mexican restaurant. They uprooted it and dragged it across the street with a trailer in 1971 or something like that. Anyway, yeah, you know, Austin's changed a lot. Rocky's seen Austin change a lot, but there's still a lot of that spirit uh, around, and I think Rocky represents a lot of that spirit spirit of old Austin. Now, what do you think about Will? His parents or grandfather was in a swing band. Is that right? Well, I didn't know about that, you know. I didn't know about that. But do you see music in Will? Uh-huh, yeah. Tell me about the music in you, Will, the swing band, your grandfather, a trumpet player? Yeah, did you ever hear about Les Brown and his band of renown? Well, I had in a way, you know, yeah. I was wondering who that was. He know? played with a bunch of people. He played, uh, he put himself through, through college. Uh, he was like the first person in the family to go through college. And he was uh, playing like, he played all kinds of stuff. He'd they'd be, be sort of a pickup band. That was in New Hampshire. So he one time he was billed as so-and-so and her New Yorkers. They had no idea where New York was. Then there was another one that was like Bessie Worm and her Nightcrawlers. And then he got asked to join this band, Les Brown and his band of renown. Yeah, he's an amazing he's an amazing guy. Rocky, what can you tell us about Kenny Rogers? Did you ever see Kenny Rogers in the 60s? Because I know he saw Leland Rogers. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, well, I, I have never met Kenny, you know. But I saw where he was billed to play the Paramount Theater one time. Oh, well, that's kind of, probably needs guidance to do that. He was doing some kind of hard show, you know, like reading out of the dictionary or something. I don't know. I guess that's what he does, you know. He would probably pay to hear Kenny Rogers read out of the dictionary. Did you ever go to Kenny Rogers Broaster's, that restaurant? 
No, I did not. Is it here in Austin or something? They had them. I think it went out of business. Do you remember Kenny Rogers Broster? I remember its existence. I don't know if there was ever one here in Austin, though. You guys have the song called John Lawman. Uh-huh, that's right, yeah. And what I was wondering, Rocky, it seems fascinating that your old managers in the 13th floor elevators would hire off-duty cops to protect you from the on-duty cop. Oh, now that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, that's just something to think about, isn't it? You have to read up on it, right? Have you told Will about that? Yeah, well, I've, I've told him about it. And he says he likes it. He encourages it. He hope I'm happy enough to, you know, to do it. You know what I mean? Have there been cops at any of the gigs? I would discourage that. Uh, no, there haven't. You know, man... The cops used to, on a serious note, the cops used to give Rocky a really hard time back in the 60s, like a really, really hard time. And it's actually one of the more heartwarming parts of the story that he's been, you know, so honored by the by Austin and so kind of helped by the law by the legal system later on in his life. Because man, they really sucked back in the 60s. They had it out for him, and they finally saw the error of their ways. So I thought that was amazing hiring off-duty cops to protect you from the on-duty cop. Right. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah. Rocky, what was it like going to Graceland? I think you went to Graceland. Did you feel Elvis's ghost at all? Uh, no, I hadn't heard about that. You know, I imagine that's just something that really people heard about and they don't think it's true, but they, you know, they, they probably it's just some kind of a legend or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure if you've heard about it, you know it's all right, don't you? Have you felt any ghosts at Graceland? I've never been to Graceland. About it, but I imagine it might be a pretty scary place to go to if it's supposed to be some kind of place that that some kind of weird clique knows about. You know what I mean, or something? Yeah, it's just, it's it's sad. I felt sad when I went oh, to Graceland. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had a sad life. I I feel like you know. Well, I don't think he drank or anything. No, you know, he didn't but drink. He didn't drink. Oh, yeah. No. I think he pooped a lot though. Oh come on. That's where it ended. It's the family show, Nard. Ended on the toilet. There's great echo in the toilet, isn't there, Rocky? Like when you do recordings and stuff. Yeah, I always skip reading about that stuff, but I guess, you know. Or, but I listen to, I relax, you know, all the time or thing, you know. Rocky Erickson, one band that I loved that you played with, and here's a bunch of posters from the 13th floor elevators. One band I loved you played with, and it's right here, The Conqueroo. I love that name, The Conqueroo. What can you tell people about The Conqueroo? Isn't that a neat band name? Yeah, it was a it was a band that had very many, had the most uh, members in it than any other band. You know what I mean? And what... And, uh, this rings, I just love it, like, you know, 13 for Elevator sounds great, but Conqueroo, I love that name, Conqueroo. It's just it's from Bo Diddley, right? Oh, good. Yes, it could at that, yeah, I tell you, yeah. And this particular poster underneath right here, we were talking about Canada, Dan Behar being from Canada. Here's the 13th floor elevators playing in San Mateo. Yeah. And check who's on the bill, the Canadian Fuzz. Oh, my goodness, yeah, that's great, or something like that, yeah. What are your Canadian connections, Rocky? When you think of Canada, what do you think about? I just think about, uh, you know, maybe uh, education, you know, I'd have to study about it a lot. It might be fun, but I'd have to, you know, get guidance about it, learn how to do it, you know. I'd have somebody give me a kind of a gift or something like that, you know. Yeah. You've been to Toronto, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And underneath here, we have another poster, Will. Check this one out. I find it quite interesting, Rocky. It's a poster for the 13th floor elevators, but there's a lot of the charlatans on there from San Francisco. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've heard about them, too. Yeah, but they're a hard name to pronounce, aren't they? Charlatan, not as hard as... 
Ockerville. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> the I just want to say it. But when you're looking at art, Rocky, what do you think? That's not your photo, is it, on the record there, on I the poster? So I, I don't know how they did that, but that, that's really uh, kind of eerie, but it's good, huh? That's the name of them, huh? They had a good little outfit on, though, man. That's a good straw boater hat, uh -huh, okay. wire rim glasses, a watch chain. Uh -huh. They were dandies of a kind. Now, Rocky, are you Rocky Erickson? Because sometimes you're Emil Schwartz. Yeah, that's right, Emil Schwartz, yeah. I've thought of that. I got that from the Rolling Stones when they call themselves Nonker Pledge or something Jake, like that, you know? Yeah. So has Emil Schwartz, has that reared its head ever again? Uh, what's that? Have you used that much, the Emil Schwartz? Yes, I put it on records, and I put it, you know, whenever uh, people like ASCAP or, uh, or Time Warner using my writings or something, you know, then they sign it, E-M-I, La La Land, L Schwartz, you know what I mean? Have you ever had to do that, Will? Not really. Oh, well, you know, a couple times. I worked at a website where they would occasionally make me, they forced me to, like, write these ghost write these kind of, like, cream puffy reviews of, like, stuff that the label had paid for. It was this kind of corporate horror job, but I was starving. And I would use a pseudonym sometimes for that. Rocky, you love playing the organ nowadays, don't you? Yes, I do. I love that organ. Yes, I do. Yeah. You've had it for a long time, though. Like, you played on Hurricane Fighter Pilot. Well, I'd heard about that. That was some kind of weird band called the Red Red, no telling what, the Red Red Sea, you know, or something like that. You know, they had me do this, you know, airplane flying over the sea or something, you know. They, like the Red Trail, well, they're kind of weird. They're very uh, hard to get into, but they were nice to me. Said, we're so sorry you have to sing this special symbol song. There it is, you know. Do you remember the keyboard you played then? Yes, I did. I played a uh, keyboard on uh, uh, May the Circle. Remain unbroken, yeah. Uh -huh. The keyboard, was that a Vox? Uh, well, uh, yeah, something like that, yeah, you know. Will, you had a guy called Zach in your band. I did, yes. And Rocky, you played with the band at one time, or did gigs with the Zachary Thacks. Well, I'm trying to think about that, yeah. Texas. That's right, yeah, uh-huh. Zachary Thacks, and I heard at one of those gigs that you went backstage and found a packet of Tang. Do you like Tang? Yes, I do. I sure do, yeah. Have you had any in a long time. I like that cow-cow stuff, too, or what do you call it, Bosco, or they told you never to say it. Yeah, it's weird stuff. You can't pronounce it. It's just chocolate. It's a you know, chocolate ready-made mix, and you mix it up. And everything, you know. When you guys are practicing, what are you having? What does Will eat? Like, what do you drink when you're practicing? Oh, uh, we drink a lot of milk, and uh, and then we like malts. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll ice cream. They're allowable. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> if they'll allow us to have malts, you know, we'll 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 imbibe a little bit, but you know, usually, usually just milk and cream. Rocky, how were you introduced to Will? Like, Will is a legend from Austin. How were you introduced to Will? Well, he, uh, he introduced himself to me. They how did he introduce himself? Out of, you know, phone calls, you know, and then, uh, and then I'd answer and say, well, we're the uh, Oakerville, you know, and you've heard of the Black Crows, you know, so we were uh, we were to ask if we'd help you out and play with you or something, you know? How about other legends, like the Butthole Surfers? Have you run into them at all? I, I, I've heard of them, you know. I think I used to have some kind of a, some kind of a, a little flyer from them or something like that, you know. You love the flyers, don't you? Do you still love the junk mail and stuff like that? Yeah. 
I sure do, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Are you collecting flyers and stuff? Do you have all the 13th elevator stuff? How much did you know about the 13th for elevator as well before you jumped in with Rocky? I uh, I knew them by reputation because if you, you can't be a band in Austin and not know about them. They cast sort of a wide shadow because it's sort of psychedelic music is a big long tradition in Texas and the elevators were the start of that whole thing. So you can't really be a band in Austin and not know about the elevators. Is there a test to give Will it all to know that he's cool enough to play with Rocky Erickson at all, Rocky? Is there he's doing good, yeah. Well, is there a test? So far, he makes sure I get help. He's doing good. He comes, comes along. You know what I mean? I'm coming along. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> all right. How do we know when he's there? Yeah, oh, he's here all the time. Here. At 420, you'll be here. Yeah. 420, True Love Cast Out All Evil. Anti-records. That's when the record's out. And winding up here, Rocky, I was curious about all the different stuff you've done over the years here. What do you think about rap music? Rap music. Well, I haven't heard that much about it. I'd like to find out about it. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, you know, it sounds like a novelty or something. Sounds good to get interested into, you know. You know what I mean? Because Will here, your music in Uckerville River has been mashed up with Lil Wayne. It ha I love Lil Wayne, and I really like that mashup a lot, yeah. So how would you explain Lil Wayne and Uckerville River to Rocky? He's a guy who's he's real smart, he's real young. He was kind of like you, man. He was a really young guy. He was 15 when he started doing it. And he doesn't write anything down. It's just all off the top of his head. And he's constantly working. He's really prolific. He does a lot of stuff. Uh, does that sound good? Does that sound like a rapper that you'd like to get to know? Yeah, for sure. That sounds good. Yeah, right. Little Wayne and Rocky. He's also in, set that up right now. He's also in jail right now. He's in he's in prison right now. So he had, wrote a lot of. Uh, but you wrote a lot of your songs at Rusk, which was almost like a prison, didn't you? A lot of the rec a lot of the songs. Too, yeah, they were all songs that I got together, you know, and kept working on. What it was, it, you know, once I got the special thing going, they seemed to get really simple or something, over and over or something like that, you know. And there's tens more left. Yeah, I had the, yeah, I'm gonna be writing some more, you know. A little stack that were left off, but Will, you had to go through them carefully. Yeah, well, you know, they gave me 60 songs to go through, and I had to go through and pick my favorites. And a lot of the ones I really loved were the ones that were written at Rusk, because I think there was just such heart and emotion and spirit, you know. And would you describe Rusk for people that don't know Rocky? Well, I don't know. I didn't really know too much about, uh, you know, what the, uh, you know, how to describe it. But, you know, I could, I don't know. Is it a good place to write? Well, it, it's just something that'll be dealt with, you know. It's important, you know, like people have said and everything like that, you know what I mean? The songs are amazing, though, and it's so great that you got 60 songs uh, yeah. that you considered for this record, and we're really looking forward for the 420. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Rocky, anything else you want to add or will about any of the posters or about Jonathan Winters or about the Spades or the Jades? The Jade Room. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, something like that. And where are we going to do our other one or something like uh, that? We have know? another one coming up. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. No, I know. yeah, well, okay, yeah. Uh huh. I like the way you guys discuss interviews and stuff like that. Have you ever sung interviews at all? Not really, you know. Like, you know, instead of talking in an interview, yeah, could you? I'm on the phone, you know, or something like that, you know? Lastly, or Will, could you explain to Rocky about you singing an interview? Uh, I just did a thing where I, I thought it would be fun to sing my responses to an interview. And I wrote them all, all the songs in advance. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's about it. That's all I have to say. We all about ready or something? We're ready. Maybe well, we'll do this again sometime or something. Well, thank you very much, Rocky and Will. Yeah. Keep on rocking in the free world. Oh, sure. And do 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 Uh-huh. 
Almost. That works. Yeah. That works. And doo -doo -loo -doo. Doo -doo. All right. All right. Bless you. Rocky Erickson and Will. An interview with Rocky Erickson. If you're in the Vancouver area, please check out Artie Fest. This year's lineup includes Kim Immortal, The Puritans, The Plodes, Timing X, Joey Chaos and the Ghosts, Fall Fair Car, Shitlord Fuckerman, Pork Ruckus. Ten bucks at the door, August the 26th, 7 to 2 a.m., 855 Hastings Street. Artie Fest is back. Right now, here is an interview with Dennis Hopper, rest in peace, from May the 25th, 2005. Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> uh, this is Dennis Hopper. You are Dennis Hopper. And Dennis, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and we're talking here about what well, we're going to talk about Out of the Blue. What can you tell the people about Out of the Blue? Well, it's a film I shot some time ago uh, in Vancouver. I uh, uh, directed it uh, and also starring it with Linda Manns. And actually, to intro the interview, I don't know if you heard the music in the background there, but we played a song by the band Primal Scream, because their song Kill All Hippies actually samples out of the blue. Really? Yeah, they sample Linda Manz's voice. And I guess that's what I wanted to ask you a bit about, Dennis Hopper. Dennis, what is the usual spiel that you give people when they ask you about Out of the Blue? Like, you've presented this a few times, haven't you? Were you in London recently, or it did run in London, Out of the Blue? Yeah, the classic film series ran it in, in London. Yeah, I, well, it's, it's a film that I went up to act in, and I, uh, uh, after a, a few weeks of... Uh, not being in the picture, uh, the production manager who produced Easy Rider uh, said that he was closing down the production because none of the footage was usable. And so I said, well, wait a second, let me look at the footage. And I looked at it, and uh, it wasn't usable. And uh, so uh, he said, uh, uh, if you take over directing the, the picture, uh, you have four weeks. You, you have four weeks to shoot the picture. So anyway, I did. I relocated everything. I recast things. And... Uh, and rewrote, uh, rewrote it. And I think it's awesome that you and actually. Then, and then we were one of the one of the twenty two films in competition at the Cannes Film Festival, and Canada refused to have their name on it because they didn't like the content of the movie. So it ended up uh, uh, Linda Manns and I were introduced as a uh, you know uh, it was a film by Dennis Hopper, not a film by a country because usually they recognize the country and, and so on. The Cannes Film Festival. Well, I'm sorry, Canada did that to you. Well, you know, it's, uh, it was, you know, I'm sure that they, you know, I didn't make it about Canada. The subject is just, uh, uh, I just is um, an American shooting a film. <laughs> well, it actually is a lot about Canada because I want to thank you for preserving vintage Vancouver. There's so much great vintage Vancouver in there. Like there's the great Canadian band, the Pointed Sticks, playing there, like in full 35-millimeter glory. There's posters from local band, the Dishrags. It's so neat to be able to see Vancouver. 
what did you think about well, it? Well, it was a wonderful time, you know, and it was a very exciting time. And Neil Young uh, uh, allowed me to use his uh, Hey, Hey, My, My, Rock and Roll, Never Die. King is Dead but Not Forgotten, but this is a story by Johnny Rotten. Uh, more to the picture meets the eye. Was it hard? My mind. But anyway, uh, better to burn out than fade away. So, like you know, I, I it was a it was a wonderful experience, and the uh, people in Vancouver. I edited it in Vancouver also. Doris Dyke uh, was uh, the editor. Anyway, there were some wonderful people who worked on the film, and it was uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was 80, 82, maybe eighty one. Was it hard to convince Hollywood to let you shoot in Vancouver? Because you were one of the first to, like, shoot in Vancouver. I mean, there had been movies. Well, oh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. This was a, an independent production. It was really a Canadian production. It was really cool that you were able to shoot it in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. But you know, Vancouver looks so beautiful now. I was just up there recently. And uh, Vancouver just looks so great. And Victoria is so wonderful, and Vancouver Island, the whole area is so beautiful. And I love those high, new high-rises that are everywhere, those Bauhaus kind of shapes that are in. The landscape just looks so beautiful. It's been done really well. It's just spaced out really nicely. I guess I'm kind of the opposite to you, Dennis, where I really enjoy the old Vancouver that you captured. Thank you for capturing that old Vancouver, because that's what I really enjoy. I don't really like the skyscrapers as much. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, I think, that, I think Vancouver's looking wonderfully wonderfully well. And caller, are you there? Caller? Yeah, hi. You hi, Nardwar. You have a question for Dennis? Hi, Dennis. Hopper? Yeah, um, Dennis, I met you when you were up in town filming that, that no, movie out really of the blue. Um, I was oh, a black and white yeah. punk photographer, and um, we met um, in the course of, I guess, when Neil was going to come in and, and um, do the... Uh, do the soundtrack. Uh, I, 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 or hold on, hold on one sec, Bev. I'm sorry. Okay, can I, you, can't, I can't hear. You can't hear Bev? Can't no. hear me? Okay, how about now? I can hear you. I can't hear the caller. No, oh, you can't hear the caller. Okay, maybe yeah. you, Nardware, maybe you could ask my question. Okay, well, I, Bev, what, just briefly, I think what Bev was talking about was, Bev met you on the set of the movie or afterwards, and you had some people up visiting you, including Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola? Yes, he was visiting you at that time. Really? Yes, he was. Hmm. Well, I, I, I don't know. It's, po it's possible. And I guess what Bev was wondering is she was asking you about taking photos on the set, on the actual set of Apocalypse Now, because you had film in your camera, apparently. Oh, I see what she's saying. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, no, I... Uh, uh, Francis didn't let me have any film. He was paranoid oh. that I would take photographs and they'd get out before he had the film out. So he uh, he gave me the cameras to no film. And also about Neil Young, was he involved in coming to Vancouver? Because he actually was in Vancouver, wasn't he? No, I, I talked to him on the telephone, but he comes to Vancouver. You know, he was born in Canada. Yes, he was born in Winnipeg, but did he come to Vancouver at all to watch you film? No, 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 no. And Bev, no, and if, if I ran into Francis, it would have had to have been when I was editing. There was nobody up when I was shooting the film. And I shot it very quickly. We're going to try this one more time here. Bev, Hi. Can, yeah. can you hear that at all? Dennis, can you hear the caller now? Hi, Dennis. Hello. Dennis? Can I hear Dennis. Oh, try again, Bev? Hi, Dennis. Hi. You can hear me. Hi. Nice to hear your voice. Thank you. I, 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 I saw you, and it was when you were editing 
uh, the film, and um, I showed you some black and white punk photographs that I had taken in Vancouver. Uh -huh. I don't know if you remember, but we uh -huh. we spoke, and, and I'm so glad that your movie is out. I saw it actually in London in 1981, so oh, it must have been photographed, uh, you know, like, it must have been first release over there. I never saw it here in Canada until this week, next week when I get to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really having a hard time, but I think you said you've never saw it in Canada. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know that it's ever played up there. Ah, that could be. But I, I don't know. You know, the film was never really distributed. I mean, I, I went to the Cannes Film Festival, came back, and, and and took it around to theater, individual theaters, but it never was really, uh, never really had a life. Uh, it's Sean Penn's favorite film that I've, I've directed. Uh, well, I like the film very much. Well, thanks so much, Bev. Anything else you'd okay. like to add to Dennis Hopper? No, just... Thank you for calling, and come back to Vancouver again. It's oh, thank nice you. up here. <laughs> thank you, Bev. And Bev, doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Click, click. Dennis, what was it like working with Raymond Burr, speaking of Canadians? Because he was involved with Out of the Blue. Raymond Burr was uh, wonderful. You know, he, uh, first of all, it was very strange because I was making this money movie with, with, with Canadian tax money. I mean, I wasn't making but the producers were. So, uh you had to have all a Canadian cast, and they assumed that, that Raymond Burr was Canadian because he'd been born in Canada. But in point of fact, uh, it turned out that he had really uh, he'd, uh, he'd become a, a, a United States citizen. So anyway, they had trouble with the, with the tax thing. Uh, all sorts of problems happened with that. But anyway, he the whole film was narrated, and uh, it was narrated from Raymond Burr's point of view about uh, how he help this young woman anyway i didn't i didn't want to do that that film so i i, I rewrote it knowing that i was only going to use him in three scenes I actually shot him doing this all maybe like you know seven or eight other scenes that uh, we actually did in that limited amount of time uh knowing that i was only going to use the three scenes because it was going to do a different kind of picture i didn't like narration so i i cut out the narration what sort of mindset were you at that time, Dennis? Because there's a famous quote from you that says, when there is a Rottweiler chained to your leg and you're guarding your last pound of coke with a knife, things are kind of bleak. Is that the way you were on the set of Out of the Blue? Uh, no, not Out of the Blue, but uh, when, when it didn't come out, <laughs> it, that was, I was like that for a while. There's also, <laughs> there's also a great quote in the movie where Linda Mann says, punk is here to stay, disco sucks. What were your feelings about punk? Bev mentioned you looking at her punk photos. We have the pointed sticks in the band. What did you feel about punk at that time? Well, I, I didn't feel much about it at all, except that when I arrived in Vancouver, it was everywhere. And Linda Mann's, I, I found out that she actually played drums. And all, I just put all these things together while I was there sitting waiting to work in the trailer. And so when, when suddenly it was my, when suddenly I ended up going to be able to direct this movie uh, and relocated everything, I, I introduced the things that I saw there, which is the, the pointed sticks, uh, the graffiti, the things. I wanted to know about it. I wanted to know what was happening. That's so that's the way I approached it, and, and these, these things were all happening in Vancouver at that time. So I utilized what I could find, and I realized the punk movement was, like, happening, and uh, the dialogue and, you know, uh, 
that was all. I got some kids from the punk scene that, that, that uh, started feeding me uh, th those kind of lines, which were lines that were being used at that time in the in the in the real in the real punk scene in, in Vancouver. And so I, I, I gave these lines to Linda Manns. I got her hanging out with them, and so everything everything changed. And Dennis Hopper, that pointed stick scene is amazing, where you're talking about Linda playing drums. Do you remember shooting that at all at the Viking Hall? Do you remember anything about shooting the concert punk scenes? Oh, yeah, it was wonderful, yeah. It was terrific. They were terrific to work with. That whole, that whole uh, yeah, it, it went really well. There's a book out called David Spanner's Dreaming in the Rain, and it's all about movies shot in Vancouver, Canada. And there's a little bit there about out of the blue there. And David talks about, he's a film critic for the Vancouver province, how when you were shooting the punk scenes, how some of the punks started to chant, F*** Hollywood, F*** Hollywood, and then you joined in with them by saying, F*** Hollywood, F*** Hollywood. Well, listen, you know, it's a great possibility. Yeah, and I guess what, <laughs> what he was trying to say was you were joining in with them saying F*** Hollywood, but they weren't really relating to you because they didn't know who you were. Like, you were just like another guy. They didn't realize you were like an independent guy. They didn't realize you were putting this together on your own cash, etc. They just thought you were a Hollywood. And it was kind of like the punks versus Dennis Hopper. Do you remember that happening? That's the feeling that he was trying That's to get. It's probably it. something that I initiated so I could get it on film. <laughs> and we have a caller. Caller, are you there? I am there. Can you hear the caller at all, Dennis? Hello? Go ahead Hello. Go ahead to Dennis Hopper. Hi, Dennis. My name is uh, Joseph Klimke. I'm an aspiring director, and uh, I must say I'm a huge fan of you. Uh, Thank you. I guess my, I have two questions. Uh, the first question, uh, the new uh, spoken word piece you did with the gorillas, are you planning to do uh, any more of that with anybody else, or is that something that was just kind of spur of the moment? If Damien asked me to do that when I was in London, I was over in London preparing a movie uh, to direct, which unfortunately didn't happen. But uh, and uh, I ran into Damien. Well, actually, I gave an award. Uh, I gave you uh, 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 two were introdu introduced into the uh, the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in London. Oh, and, cool. Uh, I, I presented it to them. And so I saw Damien there, and Damien uh, uh, asked me if I would do this thing. For him, for the gorillas, and I did. Have you heard it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's really good. Oh, cool! It just came out, right? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to. They're, they're terrific. I mean, Damien. I mean, it's such, it's such a good uh, it's such a good scene. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you were thinking of uh, maybe doing a solo no, project. I, just, I, have, I have a 14 year old son who plays guitar, and I really did it for him. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And for Damien, I think Damien's terrific. I, mean, I guess my uh, my second question is: I, I just finished reading uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls where uh, you get quoted a lot, saying a lot of things. I just wonder if you're still friends with Peter Fonda, or if uh, that's not uh, that's a relationship that's kind of done with, and if there's maybe a, a remake of uh, Easy Riders in the works or anything like that. I'm missing part of this. I heard Peter Fonda. I'm well, I see if you're friends with Peter Fonda anymore. Uh, no, we really aren't, but, you know, um, you know, it's, it's uh, it, no, we're not really. No. Well, thank you very much, Joe, for phoning in. Anything else you want to add to Dennis Hopper? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, you, uh, I mean, with Out of the Blue, you directed and acted in it. Uh, did you, have you, you know, that was, must have been really hard to do. Is it something that you well, actually, really enjoyed? You know, it, for me, it's, it's not. I, I uh, you know, it's, I've always thought as an, as an actor, so 
um, to be in front of the camera, you can also, like, you know, initiate things that wouldn't happen otherwise. You know, sometimes as a director, you're sitting behind the camera going, oh, man, if I was only in this scene, I would, like, you know, whatever. And then you can actually do that in the scene if you feel the pace is slow, if you feel something's not happening. You know, you can energize it and you can... You, know, you feel that you can. a different direction, whatever. Yeah, you so feel that you you're have. in the scene, it, it sometimes it's very helpful, especially if you think as a director. Mm. I mean, think as an actor. And do 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 do. Thank you, Dennis. Okay, thanks. Now, Dennis Hopper, what do you remember about the specifics of shooting a movie? Do you remember all about getting kicked out of a hotel after fighting with Rick Danko of the band over a woman at all? Uh. I don't think, I think we're mixing two different times, maybe. <laughs> you know? Was there ever a fight with Rick Danko over a woman in Canada? Uh, well, Rick and I uh, hung out together. Uh, were we in Canada? Uh, I don't know. I went on the road with him for a while. So uh, it's possible we were in Canada at some point. Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains is another movie that's going to be part of this Terminal City Film Festival. Are you aware of that movie at all? It was done by Lou Adler. No, what is the name of it? It's called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, and it was shot around the same time as your movie, and it stars half of The Clash, and it has a sex pistol in it as well. No, half of the sex pistols. It has a member of The Clash in it, Diane Lane in it, Laura Dern is in it. It's an all-girl band, The wow. Stains. Just wondering if you knew that that was shooting around the same time. No, I didn't know that. That was the same time as Out of the Blue? Roughly, within a year or so. But wow, still, was, that's why it's very exciting. Like, you preserve the pointed sticks on film. Like, you put a real live local band into the movie, yeah. whereas, ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains, they had to bring in the Sex Pistols as the band. Right. Which is pretty great, by the way. Which is pretty cool. Lou Adler's cool. Yeah, and the pointed sticks have gone on to very interesting things. I don't know but if you know, but their manager, Steve Macklem, he now manages Diana Krall. I don't know if you know Diana. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he manages but Diana Krall and Elvis Costello. Oh, fantastic. So the pointed sticks have really gone on to some interesting things. And also I wanted to mention to you a guy that interviewed you a few years ago, John Armstrong from the Georgia Strait. He said you were one of the greatest people he has ever interviewed right up there with Vincent Price. Well, that's very sweet. And have you had any dealings with Vincent Price at all? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, my, I saw my first abstract. Well, he was a great art collector. And uh, I saw my first uh, abstract paintings at his house when I was a kid, when I was like 18. He had Richard Devencorn and uh, Jackson Pollock and Franz Klein. I'd never seen any uh, abstract paintings before. Uh, and uh, uh, his uh, a friend, of, I, I worked at La Jolla Playhouse when I was like 16 and 17 years old. That's where I met Vincent. And then when I went into contact with Warner Brothers, uh, the man who I worked for was... Uh, was uh, uh, in business with Mary Price, uh, Vincent's wife. So I, I would see him, and uh, I used their kiln to make uh, to make uh, tiles in. And Vincent was an incredible, uh, incredible man. He was a great art collector, a great uh, intellectual. Speaking of kind of spooky people, how about Yvonne DiCarlo? Because she's from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You know, from the Munsters at all. Have you ever run across her at all, Dennis Hopper? 
Now, does she, is she from Vancouver? Yes, Yvonne DiCarlo is from Vancouver, wow. BC, Canada. Yeah, I ran into her a few times. She married uh, Jaime Bravo, as I remember, the bullfighter, didn't she? I'm not exactly sure. I do know that she had an apparent fling with Howard Hughes. Again, another guy that lived in Vancouver for six months. And uh, Nicholas Ray, I believe, who directed Rev Without a Cause. Caller, are you there? Never. Go ahead to Dennis Hopper. Dennis, pleasure. Uh, listen, uh, what, is, what, what is the problem of Hollywood? Is that the money, or is that the lack of talent, or is it both? What is what? What is wrong with Hollywood? Is that the, because of the money? Is that because of the lack of talent, or is it both? Well, I think, you know, it's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Hollywood. The problem is that there's, that, that there's very little distribution for, for, for films, you know, for personal films, for independent films. So uh, I mean, Hollywood makes these big money pictures. So, you know, I mean, some of them are good, some of them are bad. It's, it's the littler pictures that seem not to get made, and if they do get made, they have no distribution. So I, I, you know, until there's different alternatives for distribution, which I think DVD and the Internet and so on is like, you know, certainly, I mean, it hasn't uh, become what it will become, but there is somewhere in there that there will be another kind of distribution. Uh, certainly DVD and video opens it up for other people to be able to make films very inexpensively. Uh, it's just a matter of distributing them, getting them to audiences. Any other questions at all, Hans, for Dennis Hopper? Well, I guess it's only guess. I don't know. You probably remember the bad lieutenant, and uh, probably you would be the only one who could play this scene in a, in a church uh, after Harvey Keitel. You, you, you know, I couldn't possibly see anybody else except you and him doing it. That was a compliment, of course. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I thank you. Well, thanks so much, caller, and do 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 do. Too, too. Lauren Green. You were on Bonanza with Lauren Green. He really yeah. is Canadian, isn't he? Lauren yeah. Green. Absolutely. So you've had Lauren Green. And Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Lauren Green and Raymond Burr. Yeah. But I guess Neil Young. Neil Young. And also, isn't your own house designed by a Canadian, Frank Geary? Frank Geary. How did that happen? Like, your house is amazing, apparently. It's like a studio wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> It's, it's, I think, steel, but <laughs> tinfoil will do. <laughs> uh, uh, Frank is an old friend of mine, and uh, I, uh, when I came back to Los Angeles from New Mexico, I decided that I wanted to live down in Venice because I knew a lot of my artist friends lived down here. So I, uh, I bought a Frank Gehry place and, uh, in a very bad area. The, the architects call them the Three Little Pigs because they're made of really cheap materials. But I bought one of them, and then and when I directed Colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall, I, I bought another little piece of a little place next door, and I tore that down and built another one and joined that up. Then I bought the second Frank Gehry place and joined that up with the other place. So I have two Frank Gehry places joined up with the Brian Murphy, and then I bought a place on the other side of that and uh, kept that sort of the way it was and walled it in and put in a pool. So it's sort of, uh, you know, I've been here a while. But Frank Gehry's an old friend, and uh, yeah, he's really done well. Bill Bauer Museum is incredible. What exactly should people look for in a movie? Is there any sort of stuff that they should look for? Any sort of little things, particular scenes you're proud of when they're watching the movie next Wednesday night? 
person, obviously. Well, you know, I think I think it's important to listen to the music because the music is like has a voice of its own. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, and tells a story of its own. And I, I think that uh, if one uh, saw Easy Rider, which I directed, uh, and think of my character as perhaps an extension of Billy, the character that I played in, uh, in Easy Rider, and uh, that unfortunately it's a metaphor for the way I saw uh, you know, uh, family life growing in America. At that time, so that was my uh, my point of view. Do you remember any difficult scenes in shooting out of the blue? Like any particular difficult scenes? I was kind of alluding to the punk scene. David Spanner thought it might have been a bit difficult when the punk started getting a bit rowdy. But do you remember any difficult scenes in shooting the movie at all, Dennis Hopper? No, not really. No, I don't. I don't remember. Uh, and. Lastly here, Dennis Hopper, I was curious about the James Dean, Natalie Wood champagne bath. Did that really happen? There was a famous... Well, James Dean wasn't there. Maybe you could tell the people about that. Was oh, come on. It was Natalie Wood and, and some hot champagne. No, it was Nick Adams and I and Natalie and a girlfriend. And Natalie always fantasized about having a champagne bath, and so we gave her one. And she sat down in the in the champagne and didn't stop screaming until we got it to the emergency room because it seems to burn. It, That's really the end of the story. <laughs> it kind of burns sensitive areas of one's body, wouldn't you say, Dad? I, I would say that this is a this is a reality. So for anybody out there... That milk, wants, maybe, champagne, I don't think so. For anybody out there that wants to have a champagne bath... I'd go for milk. <laughs> We have a caller here. Caller, are you there? Hi there. Go ahead. That's, that's a good Natalie Wood story. Um, I'm curious, with Blue Velvet, how much of what you did was winging it, or whether that was all scripted by Lynch? That was all scripted by Lynch. So there was no flex or not so much flexibility, but you did what you were told. Yeah, basically. The only the only thing that I added was uh, uh, the. Uh, the gas that he was that he was doing was written as helium, and uh, and David had it on the set, and you know it makes you sound like Donald. It makes you like going high like that. Yeah, you sound like Donald Duck. And I tried to do it, and I I couldn't uh, do it. And I said, David, you know, when I read the script, I thought of this as amyl nitrate or nitric oxide, something that you know disorients you for a few minutes. And uh, and he said, what what, what 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 is that? And I said, well, let me show you what it would look like, you know. And so I, I acted it for him. And he said, oh, I like that. I like that. Go ahead and do that. So that's all. But I mean, basically every line. There was no improvisation in that movie uh, at all. With the ones that you've handled yourself, do you let your actors kind of uh, wing it a bit, or do you? Oh, keep I, I do. I do. And, and uh, a lot of my films, I improvise a lot. But. Uh, I didn't in that, and in, and in True Romance, if you saw that with Chris Walk and uh, Tarantino's writing, uh, there was no improvisation in that except for I, I called him an eggplant and he called me a cantaloupe. Uh, that was uh, that was ad lib, but the rest of it was Tarantino's writing. How about for Out of the Blue? Is there any improvisation to look for in Out of the Blue? No. 
But you said you got some of the lines, like Punk is here to stay, Disco Sight. Oh, out of the blue, I'm sorry. I, I, I went to Blue Velvet. Sorry, sorry, sorry. How many blue oh, movies have you there's, done? There's a lot of blues <laughs> in my life. Uh, no, there's a lot of improvisation in uh, Out of the Blue. A lot of it. Anything else you want to add to Dennis Hopper at all, William Jans? No, I think that's great. Um, I'm curious, though. Are, are you still enjoying this, or is it kind of after so many years just a job? No, no, I love it, man. I, I, I love what I do. Wow, well, keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. Thank you, caller, and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. You had colors where you had rap. What was it like doing rap? I mean, you've done everything, Dennis Hopper. You got the punks, you got the rap, you got the old rockabilly, you got the mods. It's, it's everywhere. And actually, that goes to a question that we had. A caller was asking off air, what are you, a mod or a rocker? Because the caller noted, in Rebel Without a Cause, were you wearing or riding a lambretta? No, I wasn't, uh, but uh, James Dean may have. No, I think that was Salminio. Because there might have been a Lambretta and an easy... Salminio rode a motor scooter of some kind. Yeah, and I guess he was one. He thought that maybe it was you riding it, and in an yeah. easy rider, you rode like a hog. So he wondered yeah. if you were a mod or a rocker, because he loves scooters, and he wondered if you liked scooters maybe just as much as you liked motorbikes. I, I really like four-wheel drive. <laughs> Ba-boom! <laughs> Um, also, I guess what he was wondering was a bit about, like, the colors and how that came together with the rap connection. Like, you know, you had the punks, you had the rap, the mod, the locker, rockers and stuff like that. Ice tea, like colors. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's a long story, man. I, I don't think I have enough time to tell you how all that came together. But Sean Penn basically uh, was the one that... Uh, allowed me to direct that movie. Are you looking for any other subcultures to tap into at all? Like, can we look to you to predict the future at all, Dennis Hopper? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just trying to catch up with it now. How about Waterworld? What was Waterworld like? It was a wonderful experience. I'd never been to Hawaii before, so I was there for four and a half months. And, and Kevin, like, you know, such a perfectionist, he worked every day, and so the bad guy just didn't work that, you know, I think I would... I was there four and a half months, and maybe I worked three weeks. So it was a wonderful time for me. And you'd never been to Hawaii before? Never. That's my wife was there and my child. It was great. That's a great vacation. It was terrific. Well, hopefully we'll see you up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We're sad you can't make it up for the premiere of Out of the Blue. Well, I'm really excited that it's happening. I think it's, really, it's a wonderful film. I'm very proud of it. And uh, uh, it was... Uh, Yep. Made, by, by, made by Canadians in Canada, and I, I edited there, everything was done there, and I love Vancouver, it's one of my favorite places. Weren't you filming a movie here a little while ago, say within the last six yeah, months? Yeah, Memories. Has that come out at all? No, 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 it's just, it's just going to be coming out. How many movies have you shot in Vancouver? Like, you, it was Out of the Blue the first time you had been to Vancouver? Then I did one called The Keeper uh, with uh, Asia Argento over in Victoria uh, last year. And I, I don't know, I, I think three or four. Was Out of the Blue your first time in Canada, or had you been to Canada quite a bit? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. Like, was that your first film filmed in Canada? It was, um, I, I, I don't, I, maybe it probably was my, maybe it was my first time. I'm not sure of that. And lastly, I guess I didn't really ask you this, but who are the other people involved with Out of the Blue? Are any of them living in Vancouver still? Do you have any friendships that have developed over the years? What have happened to the rest well, of the Well, you know, it's been, it's been a long time, you know. Uh, uh, I've sort of lost contact with the people. 
But uh, Paul Lewis, who was the uh, producer of the movie, uh, he's living in New York City. He's a, uh, he was the one that made Easy Rider with me. And that was my production manager on Easy Rider. So um, anyway, he's uh, he's around. Um, beyond that, I've, I've lost contact with the other people. Any of the cast at all? Do you keep contact with any of the cast? Or do you know what happened you to know, you? You know, I saw Linda Manns maybe four years ago. Was, uh, she's living on the ballet. I think she has five kids. and uh, She's married to a cinematographer. Dennis Hopper, how cool is Out of the Blue? Do you use it as a way to gouge somebody's coolness? Because I once heard a quote from Courtney Love where people used to run up to her and say, can I get your autograph? And she would say to them, I'm not going to give you my autograph until you can name one of my songs. And, of course, nobody could name any of her songs. But do people that come up to you and say, I love Out of the Blue, does that instantly make them your friend? Like, is Out of the Blue one of the cool ways to get in with Dennis Hopper? Well, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly, um, uh, it's certainly a film that I'm proud of, you know. And uh, people, uh, people get the message. It's, uh, that's all it's about. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dennis Hopper. Thank you. It's wonderful talking to you. Really appreciate it. Why yeah. should people care about Out of the Blue? Lastly, why should people care and come out next Wednesday night to go see it? Uh, well, it's serious films. Yeah, serious filmmaking. Oh, great. Well, thanks very much, Dennis Hopper. Okay. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Doot, doot. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Please don't look at me. I've seen all that. I want to see you take your cigarettes and not a 40-year-old household out of housewife. I just with a terminal solution. Your face is like a preview of September's television and you're somebody's mama. You're still listening to, I hope, CITR, F102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, continued interview marathon of older interviews. You just heard right there an interview with Dennis Hopper from May the 27th, 2005. Right now, we are going to hear, rest in peace, Dennis Hopper, we are going to hear an interview I did with Geddy Lee of Rush on 
December the 4th, 1998. So here is Nardwar versus Getty Lee. Who are you? Uh, I beg your pardon? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? I am Nardwar the Human Serviette, and you are? You're the Human Serviette? Nardwar the Human Serviette. Well, that's rather gross. What does that mean? Just like, you know, napkin, you know, wiping things up with it. But you are, most importantly, you are? I am a guy. You are Getty Lee. Yes. Getty, you are God. I must say that. You are God. You are Getty Lee. You are God. Well, that's an unusual way to describe me. Getty, at one time, did Rush once open for the New York Dolls at the old New Yorker Theater in Toronto? Uh, we opened for the New York Dolls at the Victory Burlesque Theater in Toronto. So how glam were you back then? How glam? Yeah, how glam were you back I then? I think we were going through a transition of being slightly glam in a, in a bar band sense, because at, at that stage we were still pretty much a bar band. And, uh, you know, transitioning from that to kind of a more rock band. Because you looked very effeminate at that time. I have this wall towel of you guys where you're all wearing, like, silk kimonos. Yeah, we used to. We used to wear silks and satins and ridiculous platform shoes and sequin tops and things like that. Was there any particular shampoo that you used at all, Getty? Well, that's a rather dumb question. Well, just curious, you know, to bring out that special rush look in the early days. Yeah, well, I can see this interview is going into a very boring direction for me. Well, Getty, first off, you started your own label, Anthem, because no one else would get behind Rush. You guys are like the prototype for the original Canadian DIY punk band. We were... I beg your pardon? Like, you guys started Anthem, your label, because no one else would get behind you guys. You're like the original Canadian DIY band, do-it-yourself band. Yes. Well, I, I guess so. No, I also heard, right, Getty, that you like baseball. Yes. Mike Piazza of the Mets likes Slayer. Do you hang around any baseball players at all? Well, I have some friends that are baseball players. Did you ever hang around Dave Winfield at all? Uh, no, I met him one time. What did you think when he killed that pigeon a few years ago, you being a big Blue Jays fan, I imagine? <laughs> well, I think it was kind of a unusual circumstance, at the least. So, Getty, didn't you hang around Vetus Gerolitis a little while back? Yeah, he was a friend of mine for a while. And Vetus Gerolitis hung around John McEnroe, who, who hung around the Dead Boys. Did you ever see the Dead Boys at all in the early days of Rush? No. Didn't the Ramones open for Rush at one time? No. Rush, little-known pretenders to punk rock's raunchy throne, stormed on stage at the Summit Arena in Houston and received the ear-splitting roar usually reserved for such legendary hard rock bands as Led Zeppelin and Grand Funk Railroad. McLean's Magazine, 1977. Rush, little-known pretenders to punk rock's raunchy throne. That's pretty odd. That was McLean's Magazine. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess to McLean's Magazine, we must have seemed like punk, which doesn't say much for what McLean's Magazine uh, knows about music. Getty, how come you guys didn't ever do a full-on punk album? A lot of my friends were wondering that, because that would have been wicked, a Rush punk album. That's because we weren't a punk band. But you had some punk-associated type things with you. For instance, like, didn't Gerald Cassell from Devo do some of your videos? Yeah, but he wasn't a punk. And you wore a Devo pin as well. Yeah, but they weren't punk. But you had that kind of feel, though, like you wore skinny ties, and you seemed to be kind of inspired by New Wave. Like, were you into Gary Newman at all? No. 
what about Digital Man and Spirit of the Radio having reggae parts? There's, would you say there was any punk feel there at all? Like, why didn't you do a punk? I don't know why you associate reggae ska with punk. Well, it was the whole it's new wave. It's a completely different genre of music. Well, a lot of the punk bands use that. Like, you know, The Clash did reggae. Even DOA from Vancouver broke into some reggae as well. And right. I just kind of saw that police influence in those songs at all. Yeah, well, the police were a pop band, not a punk band. So do you take offense to the word punk at all then? Get no, it? I don't take offense to it at all. There were some punk bands that I liked, but... I don't really see how you associate it with our music. Well, I just seen that you guys have that punk feel because you had the Melvins open for you guys. Do you think the Melvins were the best band to ever open for Rush at all, Getty? Uh, no. I think Melvins were a pretty interesting band. Unfortunately, they, they didn't really fare very well in front of our audience. What happened? Well, they weren't very well thought of. How about the other bands you've had? Like you had that band Rabbit. Remember them? W-R-A-B-B-I-T? I can barely remember them. Or Chalk Circle? Didn't the Melvins do as well as Chalk Circle? No, actually, Chalk Circle did better. Now, Getty, what are you guys listening to right now, besides your live album, Different Stages, that's just right out right now? What are you listening to right now? Uh, I'm listening to Bjork a lot. I'm listening to uh, some bass and drums collections from Ninja Tunes. Are you a big Sloan fan at all? Because didn't you have, like, twice removed from the Canadian band Sloan in your car stereo a little while back? Didn't I have what? Sloan. The yeah. band Sloan. Are you a big Sloan fan at all, Getty Lee? Uh, not particularly. I've heard a few of their pieces. Some of the stuff is interesting to me. Some of it's not. Because they have that song, She Says What She Means, that has a very, very similar bass line to Spirit of the Radio. It's their new song, She Says What She Means. I was just curious if you had heard that at all. No, I haven't. Have you heard that Mixmaster Mike from the Beastie Boys used Tom Sawyer as the show opener to the Beastie Boys' Canadian Dates? Yeah, I heard that. And what did you feel about that? Well, that was kind of cool. Getty, do you feel guilty at all about the thousands of teenage boys who ended up with blisters on their thumbs trying to be a cool rock bassist like yourself? <laughs> Not, yeah, I feel real guilty about it. Have you ever talked to Lemmy from Motorhead about basses? He has like a customized Rickenbacker bass, and yours is stock. Well, it's been many years since I've talked to Lemmy, and I remember at the time we didn't talk much about basses. What did you talk about, Getty Lee? Oh, other stuff. Getty, speaking of talking, Ben Mink has said that you speak fluent Yiddish? Uh-huh. How many other rock stars can do that? How many other rock stars can speak fluent Yiddish like Getty <laughs> Lee of Rush? Well, aside from Ben Mink, I don't know too many others. Because your voice really is truly amazing. However, Getty, Rolling Stone Record Guide seems to think you have, quote, a voice like Donald Duck. What the hell is their problem? I don't know. You have to ask them. And speaking of your voice, Getty, have you heard the Pavement song Stereo off their Brighten the Corners album that, that has that lyrics, you know, what about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. I know him, and he does. Right. I've heard about it. I haven't heard it myself. What do you do when you hear a song like that? Do you feel, like, proud that you've installed these young punkers? Again, going back to the punk illusion there, Getty, with these feel of rush. What do you feel about that when you hear a song like that? I think it's amusing. I think in a weird way it's complimentary. And Getty Lee of Rush, have you seen the book Mondo Canuck at all by Jeff Pavere and Greg Diamond? Uh, no, I haven't. Because in it there, they quote from Cream Magazine in 1976, a Rick Johnson who writes, The first thing you notice about Rush is that they're, they're not as gross looking as Bachman Turner Overdrive and that they have a somewhat lower thud weight than most other Canadian bands. 
True enough, Canuck rockers do seem to have some sort of uglier-than-thou competition among themselves, along with a tendency to pounce on unsuspecting ears like a carnivorous dump truck. What is the deal on Cream Magazine? Why did Americans think Canuck rockers are so ugly? Uh, I have no idea. I guess when you're uh, uh, in, if you have to take that time period in consideration, and when you think of the bands that were successful from Canada... Uh, around that period, you're talking about the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive, and that's pretty much it. So it doesn't really paint a very pretty picture, does it? No, but I was curious. How about female fans? Did you have many female fans at all, Getty Lee? Now? Back then. Back then, very few. Yeah, because they sing you're ugly. Maybe that's what they were equating it with. But that's not true, because what's wild about you guys is, I would say your brand of rock, Rush's rock, is kind of geek rock in a way, and it also is thug rock. Because you have the geek rock, a lot of the kids are into Dungeons and Dragons were into you guys, but also the thugs in the school, you know, the big tough guys were into that. Would you say, would you agree with that at all, Getty Lee? Well, I think our audience was mostly musicians. Whether you want to call them geeks or not is up to you, but... uh there were a lot of musicians in the crowd, and uh, we also seemed to appeal to people that were uh, a little over-inebriated. Getty, the Canadian content on the Rush resume is amazing. I mean, you are the man. I was saying, you are God. You are Getty Lee. You sang Take Off A to the Great White North. That's great to have that on your resume. Well, it's amusing. It's excellent. And you also had Count Floyd. Count Floyd from SCTV introduced the tune to Red Barchetta as one of your concerts. Didn't that happen? He had, like, Count Floyd introducing one of your songs? Yeah, the song was uh, uh, The Weapon, I believe. On a big video screen. Yeah, he did a couple of intros for us. Getty Lee of Rush, what was it like being present for the recording of the greatest Canadian record of all time? What was that? Tears Are Not Enough! Well, uh, it was interesting. It was uh, fairly comical to watch all these people being uh, one by one brought to the mic and ordered around by David Foster. And, uh, at the same time, it was a lot of fun to meet people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, and who are artists I've had a great respect for for many years. But uh, I would say it was a very odd pairing of human beings. Well, just how annoying was David Blow Dry Foster in the studio that fateful day in March 1985, Getty Lee? Well, I remember him asking Joni Mitchell to sing her line over and over again, and to everyone standing around, uh, her, er, every performance was, was wonderful, and yet he insisted on making her uh, sing it over and over again to, to most people's amazement. And then when Neil Young came in, he sang it once, and... Uh, David Foster asked him to sing it again because it was a little out of tune, and uh, Neil replied to him that that's his style and he's not going to do it again, to which uh, a great swelling of pride uh, welled up in uh, all the onlookers. Your line, and you know that we'll be there, that's awesome. Did you have any trouble getting that off at all? No, it was one take. Did you get to talk to Canada's country gentleman, Tommy Hunter, at all at that? No, no, I didn't. And Getty Lee of Rush, Terry Brown has produced, like, all your albums, like, except the first one. And he worked on, like, Wild Thing by the Trogs and Substitute by the Who. Oh, wait, wait, wait. He hasn't produced all our albums. Well, like, he, hasn't, he hasn't worked with us since uh, 1981. Oh, jeez. Well, your brand new album, who produced that? Peter Collins. 
But I was shattered to learn, though, from Terry Brown, shattered to learn when he revealed that Tom Sawyer, Getty Lee, is comprised of three different drum takes. Three different drum takes for Tom Sawyer? Say it isn't so, Getty. <laughs> I don't remember that, to be honest. So, but in those days, you were, you were recording everything uh, analog, and uh, you were also playing as a band. So when you recorded, it wasn't just drums playing by themselves. It was bass, drums, guitar playing a bed track together. So the only technology available was to cut between different takes, which was quite normal in those days. So does that mean there's edits in Tom Sawyer, Getty Lee? There very well could be. Oh, no! Well, Terry Brown produced you guys, Getty Lee. Who have been some of the other behind-the-scene characters in the Rush empire? Like, who have been your roadies? Are there any good Rush roadie stories at all? Well, you know, it's 25 years of stories. It's hard to pull one up on command. But is there any truth to the rumor of Rush roadies accepting Anne Ryan books as bribes to get backstage to meet you guys? I don't think so. And Getty, do you really believe all that Anne Rand shit? I mean, come on, do you really believe all that, or is that Neil's thing? Um, Anne Rand was someone who was very influential on Neil and myself, uh, I would say, almost 20 years ago. And, uh, yes, I think she had a lot to uh, offer in terms of her theories on her artistic manifesto and, and her belief in individualism. So I, at some point in my life, she was a formative influence, but one of many, I would say. Who would you say your favorite character in The Fountainhead is, Getty Lee? My favorite character in The Fountainhead? Which one do you think, which character parallels your life the best, you think, in The Fountainhead? None of them. And Getty Lee, Neil wrote all those Anne Randy lyrics. Like, he, you know, wrote all those Anne Randy lyrics. He's pretty smart. Like, I saw him interviewing Prime Minister Jean Chrétien on Much Music a while back. Neil Peart versus Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, I did. That's amazing. Neil Peart versus Jean Chrétien. And he had Chrétien totally on the hot seat. Well, he's a smart guy. What can I tell you? Did Maggie Trudeau come to any Rush gigs at all, Getty Lee? Have you ever approached Keith Richards when he was wasted? No. Did you get to meet Keith Richards or any of the Beatles at all? Uh, I met Ron Wood and Keith Richards once very briefly at a video shoot. In Toronto? Yeah. Was it for a Rush video? No, it was a Rolling Stone shoot. And Getty Lee, are you guys still into the drugs? Like in high school, Rush were the band to smoke dope to. And songs like Passage to Bangkok only made us want to get higher and higher. Yeah, well, I don't smoke dope. Um, Getty, what to you is real prog rock? You know, ELP, Yes, Amandu, Can, Gentle Giant. What to you is real prog rock? Well, prog rock, I'm afraid, is a dying or a outdated form of music. Nobody's really carrying the tradition on, but in its day, Vandergraaf Generator and uh, uh, at times Genesis and, uh, uh, you know, Yes, those bands were interesting to me. What got you into prog rock? Were you into the Toronto 60s scene at all? Did you ever see the Ugly Ducklings or the Poppers or the Mandela? I saw all those bands, yeah. So how does one get from... Kensington Market. Were you in any early bands? Did you ever share any bills with those in the early days of your first bands? No, I was still too young. So how exactly, Getty, does one get into prog rock? You know, to go from the Ugly Ducklings to prog rock. What made you go prog? What made you get interested in that type of music? I think it's musicians' music. I think as you... Uh, form uh, my tastes were formed out of bands like The Cream and The Who uh, and those kind of rock bands and as you get better as a player uh, 
those bands came along around that time, and that appeals to people that like to play. So, uh, you know, it's the the only rock alternative that's viable that's not jazz if you want to play something more complex. Was there ever a Triumph versus Rush rivalry at all? Because Triumph were kind of like a bad Rush. Was there ever a Triumph versus Rush rivalry? <laughs> not, not in my mind. Because they put on a good light show, but they were no Max Webster, were they? I mean, Max Webster, that was the hit. That was it, eh? That was a great band. Were Max Webster kind of like a baby Rush? No, they were completely uh, their own personality, very different from us. You actually sang a duet with Kim Mitchell on one of the Max Webster records, right? Yeah, the whole band, both bands played together on one song. Getty Lee of Rush, what's the biggest thing you've ever had chucked at you on stage in Rush? A shoe. That was the biggest thing? Yeah. There's never, like, nobody's ever grabbed, like, a microwave or anything else bizarre and suddenly ended up, like, no, at your feet? No, 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 no missiles, no, uh, you know, no fridges, just a shoe. And believe me, when a shoe hits you in the head, it feels pretty darn big. And Getty Lee, if you were a dog, what breed would you be? Uh, next question. And then you also like to add to the people out there at all, Getty Lee. Mm, no, thank you. Why should people care about Rush? I haven't got the foggiest idea. Well, thanks for your time, Getty. Keep on rocking in a free world and do do the loot do. Okay. Getty Lee, do do the loot do. Goodbye. No, Getty Lee, do do the loot do. See ya. No, Getty, please, do do the loot do. See ya. Please, Getty, do do the loot do. Getty Lee of Rush. Kitty Lee of Rush, do-do-do-loo-do. Do-do-do-loo-do. Who are Kitty Lee of Rush from December the 4th, 1998? And before that, an interview with Dennis Hopper, rest in peace, from May the 27th, 2004. Five. And to begin the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Will and Rocky Erickson. And we're going to end with some new Rocky Erickson, or at least new with his record, with Will's record, when they collaborated together. So here is Rocky Erickson and Will of Oakerville River together on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio show. If the way, my friend, quick. If the way is clear, my friend, don't kick. Suddenly, my fireplace is friendly. Bring in me home. Suddenly, I make control. Take little things, meaning big, so I'm not alone. Suddenly I'm not sick Won't you be and bring me home Jewelry 
were strong Funny I don't feel hurt They said you were a criminal No one sees no crime They said I might need their dirty prison But I love the way you don't give me time Trying for the kick, I won't jump on you. 